his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. You're listening to Beyond Black History Month. I'm your host, Femi Redwood. There's a diversity problem in media. That's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I was tired of seeing black stories only done 28 days out of the year. In addition to when stories are told, it's how they are told. Far too often, it's obvious that media about a specific community is done without enough voices from said community. And it happens in all of media, including journalism and entertainment. Remember the show A Different World back in the 80s and 90s? It was about the lives of students at a fictional historically black college. Black viewers complained the show didn't feel authentic. So starting in the second season, Debbie Allen joined as a director and producer. One really small change she made that was actually really big was to put hot sauce on the tables of the cafeteria set. Prior to Allen, there wasn't hot sauce in this fictional cafeteria, which culturally doesn't make sense. And listen, I went to an HBCU. Trust me when I say the campus would run out of paper before it ran out of hot sauce. Representation is getting better, but there is a massive way to go, especially in journalism. Back in 2019, the News Leaders Association found only 21.9% of salaried journalists were people of color, about 6% Black and 7% Latino. Those are horrible numbers. Now, granted, this was before George Floyd, and most newsrooms made commitments to change. However, a recent Pew study found that a majority of journalists surveyed believe their newsroom lacks diversity. But none of this is really surprising when you think about the ways in which stories are covered, whether it's a lack of reporting on inequality or the unspoken sympathy given to a white shooter. Implicit bias plays a role in many newsrooms, which is why I'm so excited to have been able to speak with Soledad O'Brien, who you will hear from in a second. There just isn't enough time to list all of her accomplishments, but here are a few. She's the CEO of a production company. She's the anchor of Matter of Fact, a Hearst television magazine show that really goes beyond the headlines to cover stories in an impactful way. And I know people say that all the time, but for real, the show really does that. She's the executive producer of the documentary, The Rebellious Life of Rosa Parks. But one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to talk to her is because she challenges her 1.3 million Twitter followers to think about the journalism they consume, often calling out the failings of our industry in hopes of making it better. She's also a dog mom. I'm gonna put my dogs out, give me one second.
If someone is unfamiliar with your storytelling, they are likely familiar with how you call out a journalist on Twitter for just not the best coverage. Explain why it makes a difference, specifically in how the framing of certain stories, the trickle-down effect. I try to use social media, usually Twitter, to explain like, this thing is not good, but let me explain to you why it's not good. And and let's talk about what framing is. I mean, we often have these conversations about objectivity, but of course we understand in journalism, like often objectivity for one person is really about what makes them comfortable or maybe more likely what makes their bosses comfortable. There's lots of things I, I compliment and then what I dislike. I think often it helps people who are not journalists to understand, like, well, why do you think the person wrote this story this way? Why do you think the police are framed this direction? Whose voice is missing here? So for me, it was really about kind of using what I, I know as being a journalist for a long time and being a little bit unafraid, kind of demystifying and giving some real context to what's happening in the media versus you know, what I think was spun. You are a few different marginalized identities. You're a woman, you're Afro-Latina. How did those identities come into play in your career for good and bad? I think it can be exhausting to constantly try to figure out, like, is this person just a jerk? Is this person being a jerk to me specifically in a way they wouldn't be to other people? Am I totally misreading this and they're not being a jerk at all? And I'm just very, very sensitive to this. Is that, you know, like, that is the thing that I sort of resent, right? The exhaustion of like the constantly processing. And I was telling a story, we had a bunch of interns at, uh, at Hearst Television the other day, and I was telling them a story about when I worked in local news at WBZ TV. And there was a guy named John who used to, we were in the morning meeting. I did the TV show. I, I was a producer on the TV show that was on before the Today Show. I would, I would finish that show and then I'd run to the morning meeting at 7 a.m. But I was always late, of course, because it and it started at seven, run to the bathroom, blah, 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 seven to five. And every day, this guy, John, would make this comment about that I was running on colored people's time. Here I was late again. I mean, day after day. And I used to go home and I'd try to come up with like, if he says this, then I'm going to say this. And I've got this snitty answer and I've got this. And I tried to complain to some people and they're like, oh my God, like lighten up. What's the big deal? And then I tried to like make jokes about it. And, you know, it, like nothing really seemed to work. And so when I left, I never saw him again. I've been in TV news now 35 years. I've never seen him again. And my point to these students was like, call it microaggressions, call it out and out harassment, call it whatever you want. Like what a freaking waste of my time to literally sit here and try to strategize around some guy who's just a jerk. Maybe he's a racist jerk. Maybe he's a misogynistic and racist jerk. I don't know. But like a much better strategy looking back would have been focus on your goals and go execute on them and screw that guy. Like, who cares? And so I really, like, what an energy suck that was. So I, I think my point to them was it was a room full of mostly women of color. was like, you're going to have some stuff thrown your way. You know, and we can sit here and talk about it and this and that, you know, get a good girlfriend, get a good bottle of wine. But I, I think the bigger and better strategy is let that be somebody else's problem. You know, you can work in a, in a system and have and do great things, even in a system that's very challenged. One of your episodes recently was on how asthma disproportionately affects communities of color. Early on in your career, did you ever think you would be at this place? I never really thought about it. I mean, honestly, when I started, I was just like, wow, I'd like to be able to pay my rent. My first job paid $11,000 a year. And then I became a writer and I got promoted to $25,000 a year. And then it became, well, if I was a reporter, I could make more money and I could pick the stories that I'd like. If I was the anchor, then I could kind of tell them 
at least ask the questions the way I wanted to. Like I could be more in control of that. Like, how do I make this more about my point of view? You know, how you think about asking a question. How do I, you know, anything I'm watching, is it the way I would tell that story? Is it, am I picking out those things that I personally think are important? Matter of fact, was a very interesting thing to come my way because by the time that show came to me, I'd been an anchor for a long time and I actually didn't want to do a TV show. But what I loved about Matter of Fact was I had my first interview with a woman her name was Rita Aleman. So I'm thinking I'm going to hop on the phone with this executive producer, Latina. And on gets a 60-year-old white lady Wisconsinite with the thickest Wisconsin accent you've ever heard. I'm like, what? like, so who's the Aleman? She's like, oh, that was my husband's last name. I'm, I'm divorced. And, and But she was such an, she's so old school in her journalism. She was all about like, we're going to get rid of the lawmakers and we're going to tell stories through people and we're going to explain things and she said you know i think of, of tv news as the teaching hospital like we're going to show people that they understand a story and get context and and that it makes sense and we don't need people yelling at each other and i just thought like that to me was remarkable and then what ended up was you're doing stories on asthma because you're thinking of like how do we serve people versus oh do we have black people check oh it's hispanic heritage month do we have that check it's not that. It's just how do we tell stories that serve people? So when you frame a story differently, when you're trying to serve your audience, right? Like there's so many better ways to give context. And, and I think that's a little bit of how a lot of my feedback online came about too. I mean, it's crazy, but it worked because people, I think, after watching people yell at each other day in and day out, were like, I just don't even understand what gerrymandering is. I get it. These people are bad and these people are worse and you're all yelling. But like, but what is it? And, and why do people do it? And why does it matter? I mean, there's so many things you could use the news for to help explain issues to people that don't have to just be like, this side says this terrible thing, but this side says this terrible thing. Do you think it's getting better, not just specifically after George Floyd and as more media companies try to embrace diversity, but also all of these new outlets that give voices that wouldn't otherwise be empowered? I think people generally are more understanding of how the system works. You know, when someone says shots kill a man as he's run, you're like, well, the shots did like someone was on the other end of that. Walk me through that. Exactly. I won't be the only person or, or one of three, like there'll be lots of people who say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Or isn't it interesting that the entire take on this article comes from one point of view? Oh, is how do we feel about people taking really important bits of information and holding them for their book. I think you have a lot of people who now see a lot of, you know, we're more transparent in the news and they can understand like, huh, should it work this way? Why does it work this way? I think that's probably a good thing because I think more people holding people accountable is is good. I want to definitely get a chance to talk about Rosa Parks. I was blown away at the fact that there was never a documentary prior to you making it. Isn't that crazy? I don't even understand how. I actually thought when when the directors came to me and said that, I was like, yeah, that can't be right. Let me Google that. <laughs> what did you learn that was the most surprising? I feel like often we're, we're sort of taught about Rosa Parks from school, but we're not really taught about Rosa Parks. Yeah, you know what I thought was the most interesting thing in all of it was the why. Why frame Rosa Parks? Why is she this accidental civil rights legend. Just one day coming home from her very difficult seamstress job. She's just too tired. Her actual quote was, I'm tired of being treated this way, right? Which is a very different I'm tired than I'm just tired. 
I've had a long day. I'm tired. No, no, no. When you say I am tired of being treated, oh, that's a whole other thing. And so we wanted to really explore. I mean, there's so many interesting things that you learn about Rosa Parks. But for me, the bigger picture, right, the overarching umbrella is like. What is the value to the people who who did not support civil rights to the people who do support civil rights around framing Rosa Parks as this soft, sweet, accidental, unintentional troublemaker? There, even in that right there, right, the way she was framed is so similar to how we see things still being framed today. Why? I think certainly from the media point of view, and again, this is what I like about the platform that I have because I think this is interesting, and I, I tweet about this a lot, right? Like the media likes to tell the story, and I've done this a million times myself: the story of a person, one person acting upon a moment in time. Right, and and you get to make them a hero. It's actually a pretty easy story arc, right? Little Jimmy Jones didn't know that morning when he woke up that he would be tested beyond what he ever believed, as he's walking on his way to the bus stop. Blah blah blah. Right, like, and it's a story that it's the the hero's journey, right? It's the narrative. It's the the tests that makes you or breaks you. But actually, most stuff is a whole bunch of people work and work and work and work and work in very non glamorous ways and chip away and chip away and they work in concert. With other people who some of them are working in the law and some of them are working in policy, right? And like all that stuff is boring. But you chip away and chip away, and then over time there comes a moment which you can leverage. And if you leverage that moment, you get some good PR, and with that PR comes an opportunity to push a little further. Right? Like that's the actual story. Much harder to tell. It takes much more time. Requires much more nuance. So I think certainly journalists like to tell the story of the one tired seamstress. It's just a, it's a simpler, better if you will, narrative. And I think that's why you get a lot of that, right? You know, versus policy and sometimes wonky, boring policy that someone sat outside someone's office for weeks and worked on and and other people pushed through and tweaked and tweaked, you know? And I, I think that's a big mistake in, in reporting. It allows you to tell a heroic story. Now, there are always heroes embedded, obviously, within a story, but the actual narrative is just much more both complicated, complex, and also in some ways simple. I like the complicated one because it's more honest, but also I think it really helps people realize how it actually happens. I don't think it became very clear to me that we weren't doing a service if we just made everything seem like the one heroic principal who helps the kids. But, you know, like that's actually not what you need. You need a system that helps students, not the one heroic principal that you're lucky if your kid gets that principal. What does it say about media that this story hasn't been told before. Yes, they've been podcasts, there've been some books, but not in this form. I think some of it is we know the story. Little old lady, super sweet, you know, grandmotherly figure. So I think it's almost not interesting. It's only when you dig into the fact that she actually was a lifelong fighter, like rebellious almost isn't enough of a word to describe Rosa Parks and was well before she sat on the bus and was well after she, you know, we never tell the story of after the bus boycott, she lost her job. She had to leave, right? Like she lost everything. No one ever tells that part of the story, right? It's always the heroic Rosa Parks. It's not, oh, and the backlash meant that she never could work again. She never could, you know, there and she had to leave her home. I think we're at a moment in time in documentaries where we're seeing a lot of people, even even the Britney Spears documentary, right? Look at all these docs where people are like, let's revisit that moment. I remember watching that doc and watching some of the female interviewers. Oh my God, the 
the way in which women even. So bad, yeah. Young, I mean, she was a girl. And you're like, wow, these questions that were being asked. So are we improving? I think so, because I think a lot of that stuff just wouldn't happen. I just don't think the audience would allow it. Are there any stories that you weren't able to really give the attention to that you wish you had that you now you regret or it, it haunts you? So many. I mean, when I started off as a reporter, I was, you know, I, I, I wasn't good. I was, I wouldn't say I was bad, but I wasn't good. I remember once being sent out on Christmas Day, there was a shooting in Oakland. And I remember the woman coming out and asking us to leave. And I was like, lady, leave. Like, it's Christmas Day. We've already created the animated graphic. Like, you, you know, and there's nothing else happening. This is a big deal. You're going to get wall-to-wall coverage because... It's Christmas Day. It wouldn't really be about like this woman or her life or her community or her struggles or anything about guns and context, right? It would just be the dramatic story of a Christmas Day tragedy here, you know, and yeah, I absolutely did that. I look back and I'm I'm horrified and I'm embarrassed. And I remember when she came out, I was like, could I leave? I've got a live shot at 11 and at noon and at one and two and three and four. And then at five o'clock, I'm leading the newscast. And now they've added music to the animated graphic and we're calling it a Christmas tragedy. And there's, we're going to hint at bad parenting. I did that so much. It really wasn't, I think, until I started covering Hurricane Katrina, where you're like, oh, this story is not about a storm. This is not about a storm at all. Anybody who's sitting here talking about the storm, you know, revealed, not about a storm. This story is about something altogether. And that really opened my eyes to both coverage and serving people. Are you hopeful for the future of journalism? Depends on when you ask me. Today, sort of, I'd say. I think people are trying to figure it out. I have seen a lot in local news because I think people really trust their local news. And I've spoken to a lot of local news directors who we've had great conversations about, you know, does it have to bleed and lead? I mean, how could you serve your people? I I think the fact that our show, Matter of Fact, has done so well. I think it's because we just want to give context and framing and explain things to people, right? And so I do think that when stuff like that starts to work and win, I feel much better because it's like, you can win with this. You know, this is not special. It's not magic. It's just, you know, what is the kind of stories that we will tell? If we're going to talk about a shooting in a community or violence, we're not going to do what everybody else says. Violence in your town. We're going to say like, okay, so so what's happening? Let's look at the numbers actually. Let's look at them holistically over the last 30 years. Is violence, does it feel like it's going up? Is it actually going up? How are we calculating it? What is even, what, what counts as violence in what categories? So, you know, on that front, the fact that our show does really well has made me very encouraged because I, I, I know viewers want to see it. I know viewers do not want to see two congressmen yelling at each other. They just don't. It's just awful TV. I think that gives me great hope. Talking to people in local news about what's working for them gives me tremendous hope. I'm not sure. I think cable could be doing so much more. There's so much more you could do to explain what's happening in the world. And I I think that, you know, they just budget wise, they just don't want to invest the money or the time. So I'm not super hopeful on that front. Thanks so much for listening. And special thanks for Soledad for chatting with me. Beyond Black History Month is a special production of 1010 Wins and WCBS News Radio 880. 
If you're enjoying our series, please rate and review this podcast. Beyond Black History Month is available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts from. Special thanks to producers Jill Webb and Dempsey Pilat. Andy Egan Thorpe is the audio engineer. Tim Schaud is the WCBS News Radio 880 brand manager. Ben Meverack is the 1010 Wins brand manager. And I'm Thamie Redwood. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.